and welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of Pagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast with me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. Bagoon. Well, things are going pretty well right now in the state of New England. Of course, it's the dog days of summer, and with that, it means, well, there's only one sport going on. That is baseball, and in New England, baseball means one thing and one thing only, that the Boston Red Sox. So here's the thing. When it comes to the Boston Red Sox, they have been just awful, 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 and yet... Despite how bad they've been playing and how much they have been underperforming pretty much as a team, they're right there with the New York Yankees for first place. They started the week a game and a half out, and then they did a good job taking two out of three from the Houston Astros. Then they go to Kansas City, have a chance to take two of three from the Royals. And they blow it in the eighth inning because John Farrell has no idea what's going on with his eighth inning bullpen. Yankees win against Anaheim. And so the Red Sox are now in second place. But before we get to a real in-depth discussion about the Boston Red Sox, first, we have to turn to our topic of the day. And our topic of the day, we have to go all the way out west. And that is... The Buster Posey rule making its way back into the forefront of baseball discussions. Now, if you're not familiar with the Buster Posey rule, the Buster Posey rule came about after Buster Posey broke his leg on a collision at home plate. The play in question was the San Francisco Giants, obviously, against the Colorado Rockies all the way back on May 25th, 2011. Now, here's the thing. The Buster Posey rule is known as Rule 7.08B. A runner may not run out of a direct line to the plate in order to initiate contact with the catcher or any player covering the plate. Now, notice, this rule, with the way it is written, does not outlaw collisions at the plate. And if baseball ever gets to the point where they outlaw collisions at the plate, baseball just needs to turn into ball, and everybody can go up there with pillows and give everybody else compliments and tell how great their fastball is, how much their slider darts and dives and things like that. You're going to have collisions at the plate. Also notice that in this rule, a runner may not run out of a direct line to the plate in order to initiate contact with the catcher or any player. In other words, and this is what a lot of people get wrong, you can boom, collide with any player, any player that is trying to block home plate. Catchers are usually the guys out there, but think about like a pass ball or a wild pitch at the plate, gets by the catcher, he turns, throws to the pitcher. You can actually run over the pitcher if he is blocking home. Now, the problem with the Buster Posey rule, a couple of different things. For me, it's mostly twofold. One, the rule came about because Buster Posey put himself in the worst possible position. And we'll go over just how bad he was on that faithful play with Scott Cousins absolutely trucking him. So one, it is the fact that the rule came about after a bad play fundamentally by the catcher, in this case, Buster Posey. Two, and this is the one that's really got my dander up this morning, 
It's that this rule is putting catchers at risk. This rule is supposed to protect catchers, but because a catcher can now, at least according to the rule book, get out of the way of the plate, get out of the line of the runner from third to home, catchers have completely foregone learning the fundamentals of blocking home plate. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, there's no real fundamentals to blocking home, you could not be further from the truth. Blocking home plate is one of those things that is so just, it has everything to do with the proper fundamentals because if you don't implement the proper fundamentals, you are going to get injured a la Buster Posey. And for that, let's go to the most recent play in question. Okay, Anthony Rizzo in the sixth inning of a game between the San Diego Padres and the Chicago Cubs is trying to tag on a uh, little line drive out towards center field. It's a perfect throw from the center fielder. Austin Hedges is the catcher for the San Diego Padres. And the throw is pretty much... It's a two-hopper, hits off of, if you're the catcher looking out towards center, it's a two-hop throw. One of those hops hits the mound, so it kind of scoots in. Hedges has to get low in order to make the hobble catch, right, in order to get the second bounce. So he gets low, makes the second bounce catch. At this point, Anthony Rizzo isn't even within the catcher's circle. If you don't know what the catcher's circle is, that's the big circle where you have the umpire box, the batter's box, and, of course, home plate. So it's about 12 feet from where Anthony Rizzo is to home plate when Austin Hedges catches the ball. Now, Hedges, because of that low throw, has to get very, very low. As he does so, he catches it, and then he plants his left knee into the ground. So there is a clear opening towards the backside of home plate. He's got his left knee on the ground, extended past his hip as he turns to face the third baseline. His right leg is jutted out in a hamstring-type stretch formation, what I like to call the Jose Pena. Jose Pena. The Tony Pena, okay? So, he's down, Rizzo's coming, and Hedges, knowing that an extended right leg is the worst thing you can do because any momentum into him when his leg is extended will result in a lower leg injury. Hedges brings that right knee into his body. He gets more of a center mass and is in a curveball blocking position as Rizzo, who is a mountain of a man, is coming at him full force. Hedges turns his right leg and now is almost parallel with the plate on the mound side of home. Rizzo collides with him a good foot away from the plate. And then Hedges gets absolutely and incredibly murdered on the play at the plate. I have it on the website, the most recent article up there, Buster Posey Rules, Dangerous for Catchers. You can look it up, jakedonnelly.com. Okay. Uh, you can also find the video embedded within that article. But I have a still breakdown spot by spot, still by still, as to what Austin Hedges is doing. Now, Rizzo, according to the rule book, is supposed to be out. Runner can't do this now in the new rule book. I think it's a stupid, stupid rule. 
One, because the whole point of baseball is to score. When you are going towards home, that is the most important play in baseball. The offensive side wants to get home. The defensive side wants to make sure the runner doesn't score. The entire, if you had to sum up baseball in one sentence, what's the goal of baseball? The goal of baseball is to reach home. First, second, third, those are all way stations on your way to home. There are these idiots online, and probably in person too, but there are these idiots that say, oh, why can you run over the catcher? You can run over the catcher at home because, and remember, the rule book says you can run over anybody at home. You can run over anybody at home because that is the most important base. Home is where you need to get to score the runs. In baseball, you need to score the runs to win the game. In other words, in order to win the game, you need to get home. Home is the most important thing in baseball. Scoring is the most important thing in baseball, okay? That's why anybody can block home. That's why you can run over anybody at home. But this new rule says that you have to take a direct line towards home. Now, that minimizes how the runner can actually get towards home. But when it comes to a collision, they're saying, no, only if the catcher is in front of the plate can you collide with him. In my opinion, that's stupid. First off, let me define in front of the plate means between home plate and third base so that he is in the way of the runner. But if you've got the game-winning run coming home and the catcher just received the ball and you don't think you can get around that tag, run him over, truck him, pulverize him, barrel into him, do whatever you need to do in order to score that run. Do whatever you need to do in order to win the game. Baseball's about scoring runs. Running over the catcher is not about inflicting punishment on the catcher. That's a byproduct of a base runner wanting to score. Okay, this is a stupid rule. It was when they implemented it after 2011. It is still a stupid rule today. Because now, the Padres and their management could come out and say that that's a cheap shot by Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo's trying to score. He is trying to do the thing that is most important and pivotal to winning a baseball game. That is score a run. It's 2-1 in the bottom of the sixth inning. Okay? He's trying to score the run. It's not a cheap shot. The catcher has more than $1,000 worth of equipment on him. And it's only a cheap shot. And it only looks this bad because Austin Hedges screws up royally while making this play. And this is the whole point of the discussion. Everybody's acting as if the catcher is this defenseless fawn, a little baby deer that doesn't know how to walk and is just kind of going la, 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 out in front of home plate. That cannot be further from the truth. If you are a catcher and you are expecting a collision at the plate, 
you have to go through the fundamentals. Austin Hedges says, I see your fundamentals, or maybe he, hey, maybe he was never even taught them. But it looks like he's going, hey, I see your fundamentals. Screw you. I'm just going to lay here and wait to get absolutely murdered by a beastly man named Anthony Rizzo. Okay, so that means we need to go over the fundamentals of how to block home plate. And the fundamentals of blocking home plate are fun. Because if you're taught them and you execute them well, you're not the one that is sitting there waiting to get drilled. You are the guy that's going to deliver an eight shiver. Not a forearm shiver, but an eight shiver. Two hands, absolutely crushing blow. But the problem is a lot of catchers have completely foregone all of the fundamentals. Either they weren't taught them or... They know them and just have no real mm, reason to follow them except for, oh, when there's a collision at the plate and all of a sudden they're staring down a six-month DL stint. Okay, so a catcher at home, what you want to do, and again, you can go to jakedonnelly.com, bring this up because I take it step-by-step step as to what you are supposed to do. And maybe one time, um, a couple weeks I'll do a video on this and post it to YouTube and embed it into this article. But here's the thing. As a catcher, it's a little bit complicated to follow along from audio. But if you do these things as a catcher, you will not get hurt. And you will be the one delivering a decisive blow. So first thing you have to do as a catcher is you stand in front of home plate slightly pivoted open towards about in between second and third, right? You want your left leg a little bit open. And this is also perfect world stuff. We talked about the two short hop that Austin Hedges had to deal with. But you have yourself open towards that second to third area. So you're kind of looking out towards left field. As the ball is coming in, you are giving the runner the backside of home plate. In other words, if you're doing it right, he should see maybe the front. If you look at home plate like an upside-down house that you used to draw in kindergarten, if you look at it, so that top left portion, maybe he can see that, but he should see the bottom left portion and the back corner of the plate. So the catcher is out in front of home as the ball is coming in. In this specific scenario with Austin Hedges, he has that short little two-hop, so he motions a little bit over towards his right. He gets low. He's actually doing everything perfectly at the start. So he gets the two-hop, gets it low. Now, immediately, Hedges screws up. Hedges motions over with his left hip to try to get in front of the plate. But you can't do that. You have to kind of get up a little bit if you're low and slide your left leg open, jab step it as if it's the same jab step you take to throw down towards second base. So you jab step open, and then you swing your right knee down and across so you have your entire body weight underneath you, ready to coil out. Kind of like a squat, kind of like a deadlift, or a clean, whichever lower body weightlifting lift you want to come up with. You want to get your weight underneath your body, jab step with that left leg, and slide the right knee down and across so all of your weight is underneath your body. Hedges absolutely could do that, especially with that low hop, because you never have to come up and out of the crouch. 
All you have to do is get that low hop, and now you're ready to pounce as the catcher. Instead, as I mentioned before, Hedges has that right leg extended. Now, we go back to what you're supposed to do. As the runner is coming in, you've got the ball in your glove. You put your bare hand in the glove and put your bare hand around the ball. So right now, you're actually holding on to your bare hand with your glove, and your bare hand is holding on to the actual baseball so that if your glove hand comes flying off with the collision, it's your bare hand that is still holding on to the ball. It's much easier to hold on to a baseball during a collision with a bare hand than it is with just the glove. So you actually, as you're in the crouch, ready to spring forward, you have your glove over your right hand, your right hand over the baseball. And you don't just wait. This is where so many people get in trouble and so many catchers get injured is that they wait for the runner to come to them and they don't do anything moving forward. And that is how you get injured. Tell and talk to any football coach. They talk about breakdown position in football. When you're in that breakdown position, you're kind of in a crouch, but you're low. You've got your hips underneath you. You're in a squat position, essentially. Your shoulders are up. Your hips are behind your knees. And all of your power, boom, is waiting to jump forward, right? Same thing when it comes to a catcher. What you do, and by the way, I missed one step, but that jab step with your left foot and why you show that back portion of the plate, it's so you know where the runner is trying to go. If you show him where to slide and you give him this little like 40 to 45% portion of the plate, it kind of narrows down where the runner is going to go. But like in the situation with Austin Hedges and Anthony Rizzo, sometimes the runner doesn't take that portion that you're giving him. So it narrows it down. But if he's coming at you, that means he's not going towards home. And as the catcher, if the runner is not going towards home, then that means he's not going to tag home and you have already done your job. So while Rizzo goes out of his way to go after Austin Hedges, it's going to be an out so long as Hedges holds on to the ball. And so it works out well for Hedges. And it's why it angers me to no end that the San Diego Padres management comes out and says that that's a cheap shot by Anthony Rizzo. No, he's trying to score you dimwits. All right, but back to our little tutorial. All right, so you're down low. You've got your left leg now uh, on the outside portion of the plate. Your right leg is down and across, and you're in the crouch with your hips underneath you, behind your knees, so that you can come out of that crouch and deliver a blow. As I said just a moment ago, the big problem, the most important issue that so many catchers have when it comes to these collisions at the plate is the fact that they just sit there and wait for the runner to bowl them over. But you are not a sitting duck as a catcher. You, with a thousand plus dollars worth of equipment on, can be the one to deliver bam, the hit. So you're low. You've got your bare hand inside the glove. And now as the runner is coming forward, you take your left arm in that forearm, beautiful shiver motion that you see in old school football, and you punch up with your right 
arm with your right hand. So you've got the forearm shiver with the left bracing the first impact, and you're punching, literally punching with your right hand. Imagine that. Imagine a guy coming full force against a guy that is apparently motionless. Who's going to win that battle? It's the runner that's coming at you full force, right? The whole point of collisions at the plate is so that the runner can barrel into the catcher and hit him with such force that he loses the baseball. But fundamentally speaking, as a catcher, there's nothing that says you have to stay motionless, right? A catcher with all this equipment on can become and should become the attacker and the aggressor in this situation. So all of a sudden, just like a rattlesnake, you are coiled down low in your little crouch, right? Boom, you're ready to go. You've got everything underneath you. You're boom, ready to coil out. And as the runner comes in, as he's trying to lower that shoulder, you take your forearm and you put it either right into his shoulder or, if you're me, right into the guy's face. And you just go boom, center mass unload on the base runner. Now, granted, in a collision with Anthony Rizzo, it's going to hurt, and more than likely, he's going to give uh, he's going to give you a pretty good lick. But you should also deliver the blow yourself as a catcher. And it just speaks to me the lack of fundamentals that is currently taught in Major League and Minor League Baseball and College and Legion and all the way down to Little League that a Major League Baseball manager can come out and say that that's a cheap shot delivered by Rizzo. Austin Hedges, who had the ball in plenty of time, look at all the stills, look at the video, Austin Hedges had the ball in plenty of time to get his body into an attacking position, to get his body into a fundamentally sound position for the collision at the plate. And yet, Hedges, instead of doing the right thing fundamentally, Went, okay, no, I'm just going to sit here. Hopefully, Anthony Rizzo isn't a big, bad man. But here's the thing. Anthony Rizzo is a big, bad man. This dude has had to deal with cancer, all right? Not much is going to stop him from doing what he wants, right? If he wants to score, he's going to do everything he can do to score. So Austin Hedges puts himself in a bad uh, in a bad position, decides, okay, I'm just going to let Anthony Rizzo, a huge human being, truck me right now, and I'm not going to deliver anything. And he didn't. And Austin Hedges had to miss the next day with a thigh bruise, contusion. So he actually gets lucky in this scenario because it could have been a lot worse. He puts his body in a horrific position. And why this is so important to me as a catcher, it's because the initial rule came about due to Buster Posey putting himself in the worst position I have ever seen a catcher get into when making a play at the plate. If we go back six years, actually, yeah, it's more than six years at this point, six years and almost a full month, six years and 27 days at this point. Buster Posey, and it's a 6-6 game with runners at first and third and one out in the top of the 12th inning. Uh, I said um, the Rockies earlier in the podcast. I meant to say the Florida Marlins. But it's the San Francisco Giants against the Florida Marlins. Scott Cousins 
is at third base. A good throw comes in, a beautiful one hop, and Buster Posey messes up completely. He's initially in the right position of crouched out in front of home plate, ready to take away the back portion of home. But the problem is, is that Posey takes his eye off of the baseball. So as the ball is coming in, a nice little long uh, one-hop throw, he takes his eyes off, misses the ball. Scott Cousins is pretty much in the same spot that Anthony Rizzo is in, just outside of the catcher's circle, as Posey is already missing the ball. Now, when you miss the ball as a catcher, there's two things. One, you can do. That is, two things you can do. One, you can let the ball go and try to die for it. In other words, you can let the play at the plate go, try to dive for the ball, and, like, jump back and make the tag, just uh, completely unorthodox, do whatever you can to get the baseball, right? Or you can just turn and try to whack the crap out of the base runner coming in and hopefully you can get the ball back, right? He's going to be safe because you're blocking the plate without the ball, but sometimes they don't make that call. But suppose he decides to do neither. Posey doesn't have the ball, decides to turn towards Cousins coming at him, and Posey has his entire body extended past his hips, his hands inside, or make that his hands, excuse me, outside of his body, waiting for the collision, knees in front of his hips, shoulders in front of his knees, no, no strength going forward so that any type of contact, any type of collision is going to spin him backwards, and it is going to cause severe and dramatic injury. And that's exactly what happened. As Cousins hits him high, good shot into the shoulders. But because Posey is in such a bad defensive position, he crumbles and gets twisted like a pretzel. His leg snaps around. And Buster Posey is broken. The leg's broken. He misses the rest of the season. All hell breaks loose in San Francisco. Major League Baseball decides to change the rules for collisions at the plate that you cannot go out of your way as a player to make contact with the catcher. But here's the thing. If you're a base runner and the catcher is anywhere near the plate, especially if he doesn't have the ball, clean the catcher's clock out. If that ball goes 25 feet away, that next guy can score. Right? You're doing something. That's good base running. You're doing something that can help out your team. I don't understand how... Major League Baseball the last couple of years in the guise of player safety they're taking things that are good solid baseball plays and have always been good solid baseball plays and are saying no these are too dangerous now but here's the thing and this gets lost in football as well sports are inherently dangerous okay plays at second base Double plays now are the most boring thing in the world. Double plays should be huge. If outs are the second most important thing when talking about what's obviously the most important things in baseball, runs, outs, right? You want to score as many runs as possible. Each team only gets 27 outs. A double play, you get two outs. It's the most significant play that happens in a common baseball game. Two outs on one play. But now at second base, nobody can do a takeout slide. 
second baseman, shortstop, now third baseman because of all the shifts, on the turns at second base. They don't have to worry about anything. To me, some of the best plays in the world were like the Omar Vizquel jump throw when somebody's trying to take him out at second base. Roberto Alomar was so good at doing what he needed to get out of the way of an attacking base runner. Obviously, Fernando Vina was not when it came to Albert Bell, but that also wasn't a turn at second base. For some reason, baseball wants to take away these plays that are skilled. And it's also why you have Manny Machado, who has no idea how to slide. That slide that he did to take out Dustin Pedroia earlier in the season, that was not a good slide whatsoever. It was not a slide that was okay at any point. He airmailed himself past second base. Roll-ups, I can see being an issue because roll-ups, you're taking out the guy's knee because you come up so high. But here's the thing. A middle infielder should have to get out of the way. Baseball and other sports are saying it is no longer on you. The onus is no longer on the player to protect himself. It's not the catcher's fault. If he gets run into and puts his body in a bad spot, it's now the base runner. It is not the middle infielder's fault if he can't get out of the way of the base runner. No, it is now the base runner and everybody else. It's everybody else's fault that they want to win, that they want to do something to help their team out. You have to know and learn, and that's the problem. It's the lack of learning. It's the lack of teaching the fundamentals at plays at the plate, at turning the double play at second base, how to get out of the way. That's like a first baseman standing on top of first base and a guy, as he's trying to run down the line, accidentally spiking him and cleating him on the back of his heel because the first baseman doesn't know the correct way to straddle first, right? The onus is no longer on the defensive player, not defenseless, but the defensive player to protect himself. Now, these plays, which used to really swing games, think about it, eighth inning, one-run ball game, one out, let's just say, one-run ball game, one out, eighth inning, ground ball in the hole at short. Shortstop backhands throws to second. That base runner at first is barreling into second base. He used to take that guy out and, I'm not saying 50-50, but like 25% of the time cause a throw that would go into the stands or it would hop and get by the first baseman. And now all of a sudden, the team that was at bat has a guy at second base with two outs. But more than likely now, is that you have the play at short in the hole, throws to second for one, the base runner slides nowhere near the base, nowhere near the second baseman, and they turn two. So instead of possibly having a guy in scoring position and the team at the dish is able to tie the game with a single, now the inning's over. Now we go to the top of the ninth inning and boom, boom, boom. One, two, three, super closer comes on and the game is over. But no. The onus is now on the base runner to avoid contact in a game that has little contact. These instances are few and far between, but baseball wants to take all of them out in the guise of player safety. But here's the thing, and I said it before, sports 
are inherently dangerous, and that is why we play sports. We play sports because it's a meritocracy. We play sports because we want to see if we are better than somebody else. We play sports because the other eight guys, uh, at least in baseball, because the other eight guys that you are with, you want to see if your hole is better than the sum of the other parts across the diamond, right? You start at even, and then throughout the next three, maybe four, if you're the Red Sox, hours, you get to see who is the better team. You get to see who showed up today, who slept well, who didn't sleep well, who drank too much last night, who drank so much they actually got hung over and they're perfectly unconscious at the plate and they go three for four with a pair of doubles and two RBI, right? Sports, trying to figure out who is better. It's a meritocracy. We all play by the same rules. But because we all play by the same rules, everybody is trying to gain that little extra something to help them win. And when you want to gain that little extra something, that's how we get collisions at the plate. Because that is one guy refusing to give in. That's a good thing. That's how you get takeout slides at second base on potential double play balls. Because that guy is saying, I will do everything I can to help my team win. Sports are dangerous. Deal with it. One of the best feelings in the world is getting injured and having that first game back after getting injured. I blew a hammy out in college when I pinch ran for the first time in two months after blowing that hammy in winter practices. It was a fantastic feeling when you could catch 300 pitch bullpens from five different pitchers after destroying your hamstring on a winter practice. That's a great feeling that gives you that sense of accomplishment, right? These are all good things, but, and I I don't understand how this has happened. People are, they're trying to say that sports are not dangerous. Sports are dangerous. Deal with it. To me, that's fine. But when you try to say that sports are not dangerous, when you try to say that everybody can play this game and nobody is going to get hurt. Now you're lying. Now you're just making stuff up and it's not what sports are about. Sports are about winning. Sports, it's about doing whatever you can to win. Yes, there is the camaraderie aspect and I do love that. And yes, when it's perfectly done, everybody leaves the field with their head held high. But here's the thing, especially when it comes to professional sports, it's about winning. You win, you make money, you make money, you're happy, and then it's a beautiful little carousel as the world goes round and round and round and round and round. But right now, Major League Baseball and other sports are trying valiantly to get rid of plays that might endanger players without thinking that maybe it's the players that should do something so that they do not put themselves in dangerous positions. All right. So, as always, the rant went way too long. So, we'll just discuss the Boston Red Sox for an E little bit right now. Uh, The big thing is that John Farrell, and I've been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last couple of years, didn't get the job this year, so I'm watching more Red Sox. And I've been hearing for a long time that John Farrell is having issues when it comes to managing his pitchers, managing his bullpen. And it's really coming to a head over the last week, despite the fact that the Red Sox are playing pretty decent baseball. Um, I believe it was last Friday night. Drew Pomerantz out on the mound 
against the Houston Astros. one nothing lead for the Red Sox. He goes into the seventh inning. He's doing fine, gets the first out, then allows a 7,000-foot home run to Brian McCann and gets pulled, despite the fact his pitch count, not really up there. If you send out Pomerantz for that seventh inning and his pitch count is not a problem, then after he gives up his first run of the game, you should still leave him out there. doesn't make any sense to me when managers do that. Pomerantz was fine. He was fine. Either he's not good to go out in the seventh inning after he had issues in the sixth, or he's fine to go out in the seventh. But if you take him out after he allows the home run, you're saying, oh, I totally screwed up, right? So either you leave him in and let him get the last two outs of the seventh inning, or you don't let him go out for the seventh inning. You don't just leave him in to let him give up the runs. It's just stupid managing. And Farrell keeps doing things like this. His starters, he either leaves them in too long or he takes them out too soon. The most recent game, the 6-4 loss against the Kansas City Royals, was an instance of John Farrell not knowing what to do with his bullpen. Now, here's the thing. Matt Barnes has been awful. Just awful for about a month now. Really since... Farrell in Baltimore said, Matt Barnes is my eighth inning guy. Barnes has had trouble keeping the ball low and simply finding the strike zone. So yesterday, it's a 4-2 ball game. Red Sox up by a pair. He lets Pomerantz come out in the seventh inning, and I completely agree with that. Pomerantz, uh, with an out, lets two guys get on base. In comes Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly Leaves the two men on the base pass. Red Sox go into the eighth inning up 4-2. Now Matt Barnes, after the Red Sox don't score in the top of the eighth inning, comes on, walks the first two guys with the second batter that he faced, a four-pitch walk, which all four pitches missed by a combined total of no fewer than eight feet. Uh, In comes Robbie Scott. Scott walks his man, and the pitches aren't close, and then throws 10 straight fastballs to Salvador Perez, a guy that loves to chase breaking balls, a guy that loves to chase pitches out of the strike zone. Out of those 10 pitches, I think two of them were strikes, with the exception of the fateful final fastball. So that one five times fast. Out of the hand of Scott, which ended up with a grand slam, the first ever for Salvi Perez. And the Royals took a 6-4 lead that they would not relinquish. Now, here's the thing. Farrell was right in the seventh inning. Absolutely bring Pomerantz back out. And absolutely, when you've got issues in that seventh inning with two guys on, you bring on Joe Kelly because Joe Kelly has been fantastic lately. He's 3-0 on the season. Uh, Yeah, he does walk some guys. He did walk a guy in that uh, plate appearance or that Uh, game appearance, I should say, uh, which forced the bases loaded, but then he got the next two guys out without giving up any rounds. But here's the thing. Joe Kelly is your fireman right now in the bullpen. If it's not the back end of the eighth inning or the ninth inning, it's Joe Kelly. So all these people saying that John Farrell is wary of using Joe Kelly in the eighth inning, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think at least in yesterday's game, that Farrell ended up using Kelly in the situation. You have to use him. 
dangerous situation, seventh inning, two-run ball game, two guys on, and Farrell turns to Kelly. Actually, I said it backwards. He got a fly ball to left, if I remember correctly, then walked the next guy, then got the next guy out. But uh, to get out uh, unscathed. But if you got two guys on and the guy at first base is the potential tying run, that's when you bring in your fireman. That's when you bring in Joe Kelly and he got the job done. Eighth inning, Matt Barnes, nobody on base. You should know how to get guys out. He no longer does. Neither does Scott. So the Red Sox end up losing the game. Now, here's the thing. Is Hembry your guy now in the eighth inning for righties? Is Fernando Abad, whose first impression last year was horrid, giving up the three-run jack to Robinson Cano. Is Abad now your left batter guy? Is he your lefty out of the bullpen? Is Hembry your righty out of the bullpen in that eighth inning? I like Joe Kelly as the fireman spot, kind of like Andrew Miller in Cleveland. Granted, Joe Kelly is not, at least with the way Farrell is using him, Joe Kelly is not going to go two and a third innings. I thought that yesterday, especially with the day off today, that Joe Kelly probably should have come back out for the eighth inning, but that's not how Farrell wants to use him. That's fine. Remember, Kelly was a starter at one point, so he should know how to get four or five outs. But if that's not how Farrell wants to use him, fine. But right now, Scott and Henry are not, I repeat, not the solution when it comes to eighth inning bullpen appearances. No, right now, I think your solution is Henry and Fernando Abad. You can't use Barnes. You can't use Scott. I think you have to go with two other guys because right now, while the Red Sox... And their bullpen have been terrific over the past, I think, 21 games. It's the first blown save in the last 21 games for the Red Sox. But I think you got to go somewhere else. We'll talk a little bit more about it next time up. But catchers, if you're trying to make your way through the ranks, protect yourselves. The Buster Posey rule is the dumbest thing. It's putting catchers in horrific spots because it's saying you don't have to learn your fundamentals. But hey, when a six foot three, 230 pound guy is barreling in towards you at home and you have no idea how to protect yourself and become the aggressor in that situation, you're gonna wish that you would learn the fundamentals of collisions at the plate and you're gonna wish that the Buster Posey rule was never a thing. All right, so things are okay. Sox just a half game behind the New York Yankees at this point in time, June 22nd, 2017. Red Sox playing well, have the day off, and they'll have the homestand and the retirement ceremony of David Big Poppy Ortiz tomorrow night, Friday, June 23rd at Fenway Park. So things are good here in the state of New England. This has been Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. Bagoon, with another Bagoon's Barrage. I hope you're doing well wherever and whenever you are listening to this one. And as always, go New England. So